the Andrew Carter Podcast, the best of Montreal's number one morning show. Hear Andrew live weekdays, 5.30 to 9 on CJAD 800. Exactly. The old U.S. record was set in 1980. Jimmy Carter versus Ronald Reagan. 80.6 million tuned in. But now there's a new record. On Monday night, 84 million viewers in the U.S. tuned in to watch Clinton versus Trump. NBC came in first, ABC second, and in third, CBS. As for the cable news networks, Fox News was first, CNN, and then MSNBC. And then there's social media. Facebook had 55 million views of debate-related videos, plus 18 million Facebook users generated 73 million posts, likes, shares, and comments. Also, there are four shows that beat uh, Monday night's debate. The finale of MASH, 125 million. The 2015 Super Bowl, 114 million. The Roots miniseries in 1977, 100 million. And the finale of Cheers, 1993, 93.5 million tuned in. Okay. Former Israeli President Shimon Peres has passed away. Yeah. Two weeks ago, Shimon, Shimon Peres had a major stroke which caused bleeding in his brain. He was sedated and using a respirator, but early this morning in Israel, the ninth president passed away. He was 93 years old, and Andrew, what a life. He was born in 1923, moved to a pre-state Palestine in 1934. He became director general of the defense ministry at age 29. He was Israel's longest-serving public servant, elected to the Knesset in 1959. He was defense minister, foreign affairs minister, finance minister, three stints as prime minister. Plus, he became the president at the age of 83 and was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for the first Israeli-Palestinian peace accord. Uh, Tell me another police shooting, this time in uh, Southern California. Yeah, and we've talked about these the last couple of weeks. There was a black man killed in Charlotte, North Carolina, also in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The latest happened in El Cajun, which is located 15 miles northeast of San Diego. Yesterday at 2 p.m. Pacific, a black man was walking in traffic, so his sister called 911. She said her brother was acting erratically, and when police showed up, he was in a parking lot at a strip mall. The unidentified man had his hands in his pockets, and police repeatedly told him, take your hands out of your pockets. He finally complied and then pointed something at two officers. One officer used a taser, and when that didn't work, the second officer shot and killed the man. However, a gun was not recovered at the scene. A crowd has been gathering, and a good number of protesters are absolutely furious, but so far there hasn't been any violence. And get a load of this quote. This is the sister of the man that was killed. Quote, oh, my God, you killed my brother. I just called for help, and you killed him. Andrew, she's the one that called 911. Uh, Do they know what he was pointing at police? No, they will not say what it was. But whatever he pulled out from his pants that was not a gun, he sort of got into a shooting stance. So he crouched down, pointed whatever it was. It could have been a uh, maybe a rock or a pen, 100% though, was not a gun. Not good. Um, what happened uh, to when uh, a woman tried to rob an Arby's restaurant? So this happened at an Arby's restaurant in Gainesville, Florida. The allegations are 20-year-old Kashante Taylor went to Arby's, 
but instead of ordering a meal, she pulled out a gun and demanded cash. She stole just over $200 U.S. from three cash registers, and then she made her getaway in a taxi cab. However, police were able to track down the cab just three blocks from the scene of the crime. The authorities recovered a gun plus $219 in cash. And right now, the 20-year-old is behind bars facing a various, very serious charge of armed robbery. Right. So she, she, she hailed a cab. She, 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 there was no bus uh, nearby? <laughs> no, she actually really did hail a cab. What a moron. Okay, let's see how those uh, crazy markets are doing. Uh, Michael Kane is at the <laughs> Business News Network. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Andrew. How you doing today? I am awake. Yeah? Well, at least you didn't get skunked first thing. <laughs> I never knew that the tomato juice didn't work. No, tomato juice does not work at all. Uh, this is because you have empirical evidence. You have actually tried it. Yes, I have, because I had a golden. I have a golden retriever who's gone skunked a couple of times. Really? Uh, actually, a couple of golden retrievers, and we. Uh, I used gallons of tomato juice, and uh, it's delicious to drink, but it doesn't work for it to uh, kill the smell. What does? Where are you taking these poor animals that are getting skunked? <laughs> I, I think that's, not, that's a that's I, a human choice, there, Andrew. <laughs> I'm not taking them anywhere. I'm just oh, they're you know, in the house. They're in there. They're in the house. You let them out the back, and so you uh, got squirrels in the house, and you got skunks in the house. <laughs> well, the skunk didn't get into the house. Oh. Just his smell. Oh, okay. Uh, at this point, all right. But uh, yeah, apparently, what does work is hydrogen peroxide, baking soda, and a little bit of uh, soap to uh, make a lather. You don't want to use hydrogen peroxide on your on your dog unless it's already blonde. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Not peroxide. Oh. Hydrogen peroxide. And somebody said vinegar works as well. Yeah. Uh, how's, how are the markets looking uh, this morning? Going to go up or down or what? A little negative. A little yeah. negative. Dow, uh, Dow Jones uh, futures are down 11 points. That's not a big move. But uh, as I found out yesterday when we were talking to uh, Tony Dwyer, who's the chief strategist at uh, Canaccord Genuity, he said, I am not making any bets in this market until the U.S. election is over. And so on any given day, you can see the markets go down. And uh, and it looks as though we're going to have a, a little bit of caution in the markets today. Okay, what's the effect of this um, uh, pipeline approval? Yeah, you know, it's going to be the top story today. And it's really not a story. It's well, actually, what it is, it's a political story. Uh, you should get Tommy on this uh, file here because really, what it is, it's uh, the Trudeau government has approved the Pacific Northwest LNG liquefied natural gas uh, pipeline. So they're going to take liquefied natural gas from northern BC out to Prince Rupert and ship it to Asia. Right. Problemo, no customers. Well, they got a, I think they one customer or something right. like that. For the project to go ahead, you've got to get solid customers over a long period of time. I think they've got one uh -huh. who signed on for 20 years. But the thing is, this is a political story uh, more than a business story. The thing will likely never get built until I'm dead. Right. You know, like it's going to be a really long time. So and it'll so, be it'll be around the same time that the penny stops smelling like a skunk, <laughs> like a skunk. <laughs> uh, so it is a political story. It is going to be on all of the business reports today, uh, but it is more the Trudeau government moving ahead with its environmental uh, initiatives. Right. You got some beer news. Beer news. Okay, so craft beer, which is really, really popular, growing in popularity, it's the fastest growing segment, going to get more expensive because there's been so much rain on the prairies this summer that malt barley, the, the really high-grade 
uh, malt barley that they use in craft beers. Uh, the the crops uh, are, are minuscule compared to what they normally are. Really. So the price is going to have to go up. And it's not just here. It's in France and Germany. They have had so much rain as well, so that their malt barley crops are very small. And uh, as a result, uh, that, you know, the price goes up and that gets passed along to the consumers. And that's where you hear people go, Mojit! <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of craft beer. <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, you can. You just did. Okay. It, it means nothing, really. <laughs> it, it's on a French station. It would be worse. I've, uh, yeah, I've, I noticed that when yeah. I when I lived in Montreal that there was a lot that went on. <laughs> yeah, on, on the French there, there, station. The two solitudes really do uh, apply yeah. when it comes to swear words, right? Uh, should you fill up sooner rather than later? You can still fill up for about a dollar two in uh, some places around Montreal today. Other stations dialing it up to anywhere between one seventeen and one nineteen today. Why is that? Dan McTague, Senior Petroleum Analyst at GasBuddy.com. He's our gas buddy. We've called him up this morning. Hi, Dan. How are you? How are you this morning, Andrew? I'm okay. So what? Uh, how, how much? Is it really going to go up that high in Montreal? Yeah, it's uh, the Montreal roller coaster. It, nowhere else in North America do you see this, but um, you have prices uh, shooting up 10, 12, 13 cents a liter in one fell swoop. And that's usually... Uh, you know, late uh, Tuesday afternoons into Wednesday mornings. But by uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it'll be right back down to pretty much what you were paying uh, yesterday morning. Okay, so um, if, if, you, if you can stand it, then you wait a few days. Absolutely. Yeah. The tried and true is never to buy gasoline on a Tuesday to Thursday. Uh, anytime after that, retailers really beat themselves up, uh, throwing away their operating margin, their ability to turn... Uh, their pumps on, pay for the electricity, their overhead. That's what really gets discounted. The wholesale price never changes. It's always, uh, uh, today it's about 57 cents a liter. You throw in your 50 cents in taxes, uh, and that really gives you the price that every gas station has to pay. There are exceptions here and there. But if I'm a gas station today in Montreal, I have to buy my gasoline for about $1.04 a liter. Not $1.01, not $1.02, but $1.04. So if I'm selling it for $1.02 or $1.01, Obviously, they're using other things within their uh, their parking lots or their stores uh, right. to back up those losses. Wow. So um, is, is this kind of increase normal for this time of year? No, it's, uh, I mean, it happened last week. I did a story with uh, uh, last week with Le uh, Journal de Montréal, and it was uh, the same thing. I explained that this is exactly what happens. See, retailers discount their 12 cents a liter sometimes go even further than that those that can only to see that price recovered by tuesday and wednesdays and so uh you know for motorists i know it's very frustrating but i've also noted uh, from the emails and comments that we get here at gas buddy that we do uh, most people are familiar with the uh, with the routine so for many it may seem like a bit of a shock uh, but your prices uh, are always about 15 cents a litre more than, say, Toronto because of the high taxes. Uh, that really is the big differential between the two cities. And uh, although it's cheaper on the border towards Ontario, towards the United States, because the Quebec government has uh, permitted uh, or takes less less tax on gasoline in those communities and those jurisdictions, the reality is that the big differences are really fundamentally in the high taxes you pay, especially in the, right. the areas served by Montreal's transportation services. Uh, Dan, do you have any insight into the uh, price of uh, home heating oil? What's gonna, that going to be like this winter? 
Yeah, it's going to go up a little bit. I don't think it's a lot. The world is oversupplied in home heating fuel. Um, it's a good situation. It's uh, distillates or diesel uh, tends to go up uh, in the fall and stay there right until April. If it's colder winter, expect prices for diesel, distillates, home heating fuel to go up. If we have a warm summer or rather winter like we did last year, then those prices will remain moderate. But generally speaking, uh, Andrew, we're paying about 18 to 25 cents a litre less on diesel than we were at any time in the last five years. Really? Uh, it's very interesting. Thanks for, very much for your time. Appreciate it. Hillary Duff is 29 years old today. World Golf Hall of Famer Surrey Pack is 39. Moon Zappa is 49. And Janine Garofalo is 52 years old today. Celebrations at cjad.com with a chance to win uh, Eric Church tickets uh, coming up in just a moment. You can win Terrafolia flowers uh, if you play your cards right and send your birthday into CJAD. I want to wish a happy birthday to, happy 18th, this is a big one, Zoe Starr uh, from Pa, Ma, Daddy, Mummy, Cody, and Godmother Fern. Natty Gensali, who's an amazing wife, mom, daughter, Sister, aunt, a wonderful 39th birthday from everyone, including um, Francesco, Massimo, and Adriano. You know, the price of food dropped in every province except Alberta last month, and your grocery bill is going to continue to uh, follow suit, we're told. Sylvain Charlebois explores uh, the good and bad sides of falling food prices. Dean of Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Uh, and uh, the go-to guy when talking food in this country. Uh, good morning, Sylvain. Good morning, Andrew. So uh, what explains the, this drop in prices, and how much are they going to continue to drop? There's a, there's a variety of issues at play here. First of all, uh, the food distribution uh, landscape is shifting in the country. Uh, so uh, the big retailers like uh, IGA, Provigo, Metro, are all trying to protect their market share, and they're putting a lot of pressure on processors, on vendors, to keep prices down so they can, they can remain competitive going against Walmart and Costco. That's really one main driver in the country. But when you look at the global picture, what's really happening is that there's lots and lots of food to be sold. There's Inventories are very high for several commodities uh, in the U.S., uh, Europe, uh, Russia, everywhere, is actually quite, uh, quite, uh, is performing well. And so there's too much food in the system, and that's why it's putting a lot of pressure on food prices downward. So, Sylvain, what are, what, uh, what, is, which uh, types of food specifically are we expecting to go down in price? So since since early August, we've seen uh, produce prices, for example, go down anywhere between five to ten percent in a month. So that's quite dramatic, uh, and that's due to our strong dollar uh, compared to last year. Uh, we our buying power is is much more significant, and that's why uh, we're likely not to experience that uh, that cauliflower crisis right. that we all experienced a few months ago. Yeah. That's likely not to happen for, for several months. In meats, beef and pork, uh, both uh, products are down right now, except chicken. Chicken is actually up because it's, uh, it's supply managed, our tariffs on imports. It's a closed system. So what we, the chicken we eat in Canada is, is made in Canada, so it's, it's, prices are relatively stable usually. Mm-hmm. Eggs, uh, prices are stable as well. Dairy, 
slightly down, uh, maybe 1%. Bakery is down 3 to 4%. But as you mentioned earlier, Andrew, so across the country, prices are falling except, of all places, Alberta. Right. Boy, they can't catch a break in Alberta these days. No, no, I'm surprised. I don't know. We're, we've been trying to figure out why. Uh, maybe uh, it is policy driven because you know that the uh, minimum wage is going up in Alberta to twelve twenty mm-hmm. in in a few weeks. Uh, that may actually uh, be a factor. The other factor, of course, is the uh, collapse of Safeway. Uh, acquired by Sobeys IGA a few years ago, and it's not going well at Safeway. And, uh, and we expect, we think that uh, companies like Loblaw is taking advantage of of a weaker competitor, and they're increasing their margins. I think that's what's going on in Alberta. Uh, Sylvan, thanks very much for your time. Not a problem. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Bye bye. The latest rumor in Hollywood is that Brad Pitt's calls are being blocked by Angelina Jolie. Oh. Yeah. So finally, Brad Pitt and I have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> that's sad though yeah no, it is sad nice. you know I, you're right and you can't cover a celebrity divorce with any kind of glee because uh, most of us grew up in a generation do you remember how epic it was and i mean of course it is epic but when you were in school and you heard you know like did you hear that yeah. uh, peter's parents are yeah, splitting up yeah, yeah. uh and you know i'm always i am crushed when a couple in our life announces that they're breaking up, I always figure, no, no, I can figure this out. I'm gonna be, it's all going to be good. So, yeah, Brad and Angelina, they may be famous, beautiful, successful, and extremely rich, but there's still a couple breaking up who have six kids. But, I mean, the details of how that kind of wealth is divided is always going to be kind of intriguing. Get this, Andrew. They have 12 properties. He owns seven. She owns two. They bought three together. This, I mean, I think most of us can wrap our heads around Maybe you ever played the game three pad? No. This is a game where it's it's like you know when you're driving in a car or sitting around yeah. at a party and everyone's getting a little tired and it's if you could own a property in three places in the world but only three places mm-hmm. where would you own the property and it's kind of a fun game to play. Uh, in this case though, I mean imagine twelve pad. Uh, they have a mansion in France. They have a, a a mansion in New Orleans. They have a luxury condo in New York City. I just I can't imagine that kind of thing because I don't even have a cottage. Yeah, you know I I can I get I get like having a a house in the city and a cottage. Yeah, and then maybe for Montrealers uh, a place in Florida. But beyond that. Yeah. You know, it's like you wouldn't even have the time to go to these places. No. But once you get into three pad, it becomes a challenge. You know, like I really I love London. So I think I'd like to own a place in London. Mm -hmm. I would certainly I own a place in Toronto. Where else would I own? Would it be, you know, down south? I mean, I love those property shows. I must watch them. Every single night for a little while, right. I turn on the channel, and there's these people like, Monica and Frank are looking for a three-bedroom yeah. home with a pool in <laughs> Panama. Their budget is $164,000. Right. What? Uh, Goldie Hawn, uh, yeah. she has a place uh, in Muskoka, doesn't she? They do. Yeah. They're very, very popular, actually, in cottage country north of Toronto because they've always lived kind of a low-profile life. But you have to imagine, they're on a lake like Martin Short is on that lake. There are all these famous people who come in for the summer and then boat over to each other's houses oh. for cocktails. Uh-huh. But Goldie Hawn is kind of weighing in indirectly on Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie because people have turned to her and Kurt Russell and said, how have you guys managed to stay together? They've been together, Andrew, for 33 years. Mm. He's 65. If you can believe it, she's 70. Wow. But then again, I... that shouldn't come as a surprise. She was famous in the 1970s. 
But she says, 60s even. Uh, yeah. yeah. And she says, marriage is an interesting sociological thing. If you need to be bound to somebody, that's in, then it's important to be married. But she says, if you have independence, if you have enough money and enough sense of independence and you like your independence, there's something psychological about not being married. And hey, you know, I always say, whatever works for you. Incidentally, uh, John, I'm reading this morning that Amy Schumer is the most dangerous celebrity on the internet. To search for? Uh, that's right, because a search, uh, let's see, a uh, search for the train wreck and inside Amy Schumer carries a 16% chance of connecting with a site that carries viruses or ma- malware. But you know what? She's number one. That is fascinating because what it means is that you are, like, if malware people are trying to get their stuff out there, then they choose the person they think is the most searched for. Right. Justin so, Bieber, Carson Daly, Will Smith, Rihanna, and Miley Cyrus also. Well, are. Carson Daly surprises me. Yeah, me too. Carson Daly is one of the great all-time tools. And Carson Daly, I don't get it. he is the, the host of The Voice. Yeah. And I'll give him this, Andrew. I am also kind of awkward on television. It's why, you know, if I'm doing yeah. political commentary, it works. If I'm hosting something... Yeah. Silly, it yeah. doesn't because it just I, I can't do it. And Carson Daly is like that. And yet, how many years, how many decades has Carson Daly yeah. been earning millions? You know what? There's a little bit of jealousy right now in your voice. Oh, of course, there's jealousy. <laughs> I would love I would love to be incredibly awkward on television and walk away with four million dollars a year. Yeah, who wouldn't? Thanks, John. <laughs> okay, John Moore, CJAD Entertainment. Bad public policy is a simplistic solution to a complex problem. It isn't going to work. The experience elsewhere shows that all the experts say it isn't going to work. And the approach of responsible dog ownership is what we should be practicing. Longtime city councillor Marvin Rotrand on the the Aaron Rand show yesterday afternoon. So the the pit bull vote went through. Uh, Pit bulls are no longer welcome uh, in, in Montreal. James? No, they're no longer welcome. But before we go any further, just a parenthesis: uh, how's how's your little dog Penny? Oh, she she's fine. She, I I I assume she's fine. I mean, she she didn't really realize what had happened. Like she's never seen a skunk before. No. And I didn't realize. I heard her uh, having the 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 brawl with the skunk in the backyard at four okay. o'clock, and I and I yelled, "Penny, Penny, come here, come here, come here!" And then she came in. I said, "Penny, get out, get out, get out, get out!" Yeah. Because she and, was covered in yeah. skunk. Yeah, she's covered in skunk, and, and the thing is, you know, one would think if you use City Hall logic now, yeah. after the show, you should go straight to your City Hall uh, and, and file a complaint and and call for a ban on skunk. And then you go door-to-door and start, you know, getting a petition going, and, and uh, you know, your, your municipality can uh, perhaps even enact a ban on skunk. The problem is, uh, legalized bans are a bit like shooters, right? Doing yeah. shooters. You, you feel good in the moment. <laughs> But down the road, there's consequences, right? <laughs> right. And, and which is exactly what happened in City Hall yesterday. We heard Marvin Rotron, uh, you know, listing the, and these are not arcane kind of. Ooh, I didn't think about that. These are in-your-face problems. Uh, the, the the reality is, we had a controversy in June after after a woman died in a, in a tragedy, which may or may not have involved a pit bull. We're still not sure. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, bada bing, we oh, no, look, look, we're gonna that's it. We're banning these pit bulls. And we have, uh, you know, uh, Julius Gray. I almost said the inevitable Julius Gray because whenever an absurd law is is, is passed, that's the guy they call in, uh, a constitutional lawyer. Uh, and I, I love uh, he, he he was quoted as saying one of the, one of the arguments we'll have is, is the law's simple absurdity that it, it, it simply it simply makes no sense. This happened uh, in the past with bylaw P six with, with you know face coverings uh, during demonstrations and whatever. Um, and, and so this is not unique to the Kadera administration, but the idea is, oh, problem, pass a law, 
Is it going to work? Who knows? But we can say we passed the law and move along. Nothing to see here, folks. Just, just, just go about your business. But the real problem here is that we're not talking. Even you know, you could have argued the P6 back in 2012. We had demonstrations every day. Something had to be done. Things were getting out of hand. When you get up in the faces of pet owners, my friend, when you start messing with their pets, and, and there are people out there, who, not just pit bull owners, who are saying, is my dog going to be next because my dog, I could have an eye. I saw an Irish wolfhound yesterday. Yes. They're big, stupid, friendly dogs, but they look like they would just you know, eat you in, in, in two bites, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we should ban those. Maybe I feel, you know, should, should you? It's just absolutely frustrating that we see this, and not just at the municipal level, where you have politicians you know, who basically write a law on a cocktail napkin, and if it turns into confetti by the time they get it to court, who cares? We, you know, we did our job. We'll just have to go back and make another law, which may or may not stand up. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. And most importantly, it, it deteriorates whatever little confidence we have in our elected officials. So I, I hate to say it, you and I have not, this is not the last you and I will be talking about Pitbull. Okay, and it's not the last we'll be talking about Taxi Uber. What's uh, uh, what's the latest in, on that file there? Are we going to have uh, taxi protests all over the place? Are we going to have Uber protests? Which is it? I don't know. I, I certainly are going to have taxi protests, and I'm, I'm really becoming disenchanted with the way these guys, you know, it's almost like, you know, cue the, cue the low the low uh, menacing violins in the background when they say, well, you know, uh, we don't know what we're going to do here. We're, we're back into a corner. Uh, there's going to be a big demo t- today up in Quebec City. They're promising another one in Montreal next week because, gee, traffic is, is, such, you know, is, is, is already so great in Montreal. Um, how they figure that they're you know, going to gain public support is obviously a moot point. This isn't about gaining, gaining public support. And as is, as is the case, in, in, you know, usually when we have situations like this, they don't care about public support. What they want to do is pressure the government into basically caving and, and passing a law that essentially eliminates Uber. The government has shown no willingness to do this. Uh, we're, we're having it's a, it's a game of chicken. Uh, the government theoretically could, if they you know, if they really push them hard enough, the government can 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 pass a law which could make taxi drivers' lives more difficult as well. They might take a leaf from Toronto's book and say, "Oh, really? You want things to change? Here we go. You can charge, you know, you can have surge pricing, and, and you can you know uh, uh, do a lot of, of things that Uber that are, that they're allowed to do." Um, and, and once again, another problem that you know the government's hiding under its desk, hoping it's going to go away. Uh, these guys keep on going to court, trying to you know trying to get some kind of legal leverage. But in the end, we're, we are going to have demonstrations. In the end, we are going to have problems simply because, um, in this case, the provincial government really didn't have a, 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 a coherent policy when it came to to allowing Uber to coexist with, with taxi drivers. They've left it alone. They, perhaps they thought it would go away. It's not going away. It's here. It's in their face. Unfortunately, Montrealers next week will have to pay the price. Would you and your wife like a dog visitor for the next couple of weeks? <laughs> you know I love her dearly, but I would be dipping her in a, in a, in a big vat of anti-skunk juice before I even... Before I even go into your time zone, Andrew. <laughs> so wearing sunglasses at night, Dr. Mitch, you got to be careful with this. You could bump into things, huh? <laughs> yes, and people might start saying things about you. <laughs> or actually, it would just reinforce what they're already <laughs> saying. And not about you personally, but right. about the you, whoever the you is who's listening to us. I would never say that about you. Sir. So how, explain how wearing sunglasses at night can help you fall asleep. There's no proof to this. This is some sleep researcher, of course, out of UBC, I mean, duh, who claims that he's having trouble falling asleep. So what he does is he puts sunglasses on about two or three hours before he wants to go to bed. And the idea being that by doing that, he's reducing the stimulation 
to his eyes, through his eyes, to his brain, and therefore making it easier for him to kind of enter the proverbial sleep cycle. Now, having said that, as doofus as this may sound, it actually has a ray, notice the use of the terminology ray, of logic to it. Um, we do know that in the hours before you want to go to bed, if you want to improve the chances that you'll fall asleep, you need to reduce your activities, reduce your exposure to caffeine, and reduce your exposure to stimulating things. And light specifically can be very stimulating. And we've mentioned in the past the fact that blue light, so if you have a digital clock or your screen on your handheld or your computer, that blue light is actually particularly stimulating because it is picked up by certain receptors at the back of your eye and your retina and will actually stimulate and keep it more, make it more difficult for you to fall asleep. So maybe there's something to this. Certainly can't hurt to try it. But I think, it, I think it amplifies the deeper underlying principle, which is if you do want to get a good night's sleep, and more and more we're finding out how important it is to get a good night's sleep in a minimum of about eight hours, seven to eight hours minimum, maybe as much as 10 if you're an athlete and you want to recover properly and do your peak performance in the next little while. Uh, but certainly sleep's important. Toning down and calming down beforehand is important. Reducing light and noise exposure beforehand is important. And so maybe wearing sunglasses at uh, at night, you know, maybe Corey Hart was on something. <laughs> Thanks for he was he could have been on something. Well, yeah, on might have on to something. Some. I, excuse, I would never <laughs> say that about Corey. On to something. Excuse me, Thank, bad Mitch. No, I know. Thank you. <laughs> Thank That's you. Uh, Dr. Bye -bye. Mitch Shulman. Sports Illustrated's Michael Farber, brought to you by Dagwoods and the Large Geno Sandwich. Have your fresh toppings any way you like. Now only seven dollars at Dagwoods. Hello, Rick Moffat. Morning, Habs fans. Uh, thrilling to see that uh, top defense pair. Who needs Markov and Shea Weber when you've got Nathan Bolia and Greg Patteron combining to rack up seven points in a 5-2 to two win over the Washington Capitals, albeit the Caps uh, B squad through training camp. Canadians back in action live at the Bell Centre tomorrow night on uh, TSN 690. World Cup of Hockey, Kerry, superb. First star performance, 32 saves, including a clutch stop on a shorthanded breakaway by Andre Sakara of Team Europe. And Canada gets the lead in the best of three series. Blue Jays haven't clinched yet, but a 5-1 win over the Orioles puts them very, very close. Great first impressions at the Bell Centre last night made by Alex Radulov. And Andrew Shaw, though, for very different reasons. Canadians get it back. Pattern left circle. Winds and fires, and they score! Pattern with the shot. I think Radulov tipped that in front. The Walker wanted to go with Beaulieu earlier. Shaw, with his right hand, raises the roof, and he drops Walker with a right hand. Shaw motioning to the crowd, saying, let me hear it. And a couple of punches to the back of the head. Yeah, let's nice. say good morning to CJD and Sports Illustrated's yeah. Michael Farber. So... Uh, the crowd went cuckoo bananas there for Andrew Shaw, Mike, but he could face a suspension for a, a real sleazy hit from behind. Yeah, there's your character right there. Yeah, it was a horrible hit from behind on a Devils player. If this had been done to a Canadians player, we would have had torches and pitchforks out, mm -hmm. and we'd be marching on Newark. <laughs> it, it was yeah it was a despicable hit and then um self-aggrandizing in the fight afterwards uh this is your character player uh, i'm sure it's entertaining i'm sure it appeals to something primal in all of us uh it's not something uh, i like to see but andrew shaw shea weber this is 
Mark Bergman's plan to make the Bell Center a difficult, painful place to play. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of Weber. I haven't seen every minute of every Team Canada game. And it's been interesting because he does so many things so very well. One is he wins every loose puck battle and he clears the net. And something I didn't see before, because I didn't see him all that much, is we talk about his big shot. Well, he also has some pretty nice offensive instincts. He seems, once the puck's in the zone, to be able to find space and knows when to go towards the front of the net and to get scoring opportunities there. What he doesn't do particularly well, and I hate to bring up P.K. Subban all the time, is make that first pass. Uh, He's not a great first-pass defenseman from what uh, we've seen watching him in the World Cup. And Of course, he's playing with Mark Edward Vlasic. He's playing with great players. Um, But his first passes are are so-so. P.K. who? Yeah, well... There you Upper go. Upper body injury in Nashville, not even uh, playing these. Weber made a really nice play. He was really handcuffed on a puck that came back to him at the right point on the blue line. And it wasn't about getting a hard shot, but you're right, Mike. He kept the play alive in the offensive zone, and that's where Crosby goes kind of buzzing back and forth and ends up setting up the insurance goal for Team Canada. Yeah, people will uh, will certainly like what Weber can do, and people will like what Radulov can do. Uh, another new Canadian figured in two goals, the tip, and then he set up Beaulieu for a goal. One thing that bears watching in uh, these exhibition games is uh, how long Radulov stays on the ice. If you have to time his shifts with a calendar, uh, we're in a little bit of trouble here in Montreal. <laughs> are, we, are, we, uh, are we putting uh, Carey Price back in on Thursday? Uh, well, I, I think he may have something to do against Team Europe. Yeah, no, that's uh, what I meant. That's what I meant. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, in the next game. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I, I, I just you... like every time they go get near him, I said, "Not in the knee. Not no, a... no, no, stay no, away no. from him. Relax, okay. relax. He's as fine as he's going to be." All right. You're listening to the Andrew Carter podcast. Hear the show live weekdays five thirty to nine on CJAD eight hundred. My duty as mayor of Montreal is to make sure that uh, first of all, I'm for. I'm working for all Montrealers, and I'm, I'm there to make sure that they feel that they feel safe, and they are safe. Uh, that's uh, Mayor Denny Coderre, of course. You're waking up to a Montreal where pit bulls are no longer allowed, no longer welcome. Starting Monday, City Council voted 37-23 yesterday in favor of new changes to animal control. What does this mean for people who own these dogs? Uh, Eva Demjanovic is campaign manager with the Humane Society International Canada. Good morning, Eva. Good morning. Uh, what do you think of this uh, of this turn of events? Well, obviously, we we were expecting this vote uh, to pass, but we are extremely disappointed that it did. We still had a little bit of hope that uh, you know councillors would do the right thing and uh, and vote against this very discriminatory and ineffective and very wrong bylaw. But unfortunately. This is not what happened, so we are uh, we are a bit shocked and, and uh, disappointed. So, as far as you know, Eva, what does this mean for uh, if I own a pit bull? Uh, well, a lot of harsh uh, restrictions that you will be facing now. Um, your beloved and very well behaved dog uh, will have to wear a muzzle uh, when he's in public areas. That means when you're walking your dog <clears throat> every morning, every night. Um, it means that you will have to get a special permit that will cost you $150 um, every year, and you'll have to, to renew it every year. 
it also means that if your dog is not sterilized yet, uh, you'll have to do so before the end uh, of the year. So if you're a family with low income, um, you're facing, you know, char- uh, fees of nearly five hundred dollars for a for a bigger pit bull that you'll have to spend very quickly to uh, to fix your dog. So very harsh restrictions that uh, a lot of people will be able to to <clears throat> obey to, even though they're um, they they can be considered inhumane, but a lot of people will also not be able to uh, to respect those conditions. So obviously, you will not be able. You're not allowed to bring any new pit bulls into the city. Exactly. So if you if, for example, you currently live in Sherbrooke and um, you decided to start a session in a Cegep in Montreal and we're planning to rent. Um, a uh, an apartment in one of the boroughs and you were expecting to bring your pit bull that's not going to be possible you'll have to leave your your dog behind and that is for all the the all the families that are you know um in the near future or in the long-term future planning to to come to montreal if they have a pit bull they will have to leave the dog behind so who's going to police this? I mean, how is a how is a regular police officer expected to know the difference between a, a pit bull and um, you know a boxer? Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's one of the issues because there are many issues with this bylaw, but obviously the issue of the identification is a big one. Um, unfortunately, the bylaw says that any dog that looks like a pit bull is considered a pit bull. So it doesn't mean it doesn't really need to be a pit bull to be uh, covered by this bylaw. Um, so the the authorities that will enforce this this bylaw, if they deem that your dog looks like a pit bull and you're not respecting the conditions, they are allowed to seize your dog. And this is why this this bylaw is so concerning for for every dog owner, not just pit bull dog owners, but every dog owner and even people who don't have dogs. This is a very um, uh, wrongly uh, written bylaw. Can you tell me uh, what, what you know about any kind of legal challenge to this? Uh, we are expecting that legal challenges will be made. Um, I know that um, Anne-France Goldwater already, you know, announced through media that she will be um, um, uh, charging, not charging, but uh, uh, trying legal uh, procedures against the city. And when we see what happened in other jurisdictions that pass BSL, breed specific legislation, we know that it is constantly challenged in court because families are fighting for their animals yeah, and uh, animal lovers are fighting for animals. So we are expecting uh, absolutely that there will be legal challenges against the bylaw. Eva, thank you. Oh, for some reason, the, this kind of food appeals to me more this time of year. Um, made some uh, pork roast on Sunday. It was absolutely delicious. So when I saw your recipe, Ricardo, for buttermilk yeah. pork chops, that's crazy. I thought, yeah, I got to try this. And I have to start with something that I don't understand. You What's... know, like since we have a, a cafe, a restaurant, I get to see a lot of people. I talk to them, and and for an obscure reason, people really love you, eh? They listen to you, and they say, "We love Andrew. We've heard you on the radio." So yes, I thought it was for me. No, no, they really love you, Andrew. Ricardo, they, they... why do why do you find that so hard to believe? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, 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 give him a chance. I'm sure he's a better cook than what, you know, he says and all that. It makes me funny. So I'm, I was, I'm, I have to tell you, I'm so happy to be there. 
every week with you. I just wanted to thank you this morning because no, we have no. to be grateful in life. Well, we're very happy. We're very happy to have you on every week, uh, Ricardo. And I mean, you're like a you're like a superstar. First of all, you're oh. devilishly handsome, and uh, oh, okay. and, now, the, now, and the ladies love you. That's it, the part where we go back to the recipe. But you, and also, you've redesigned your magazine as well, haven't you? Well, redesign is yeah. a big word, but we wanted to add more recipes yeah. and and features that people are looking at, like this new page. It's called we called it waste management because. Every fridge has that problem. I mean, we don't want to waste everything oh, or, or anything because it's advice. so expensive. Okay, butter, and, buttermilk pork chops. Yeah, well, you know what? First, we started with buttermilk because for a reason that I don't understand, why do they sell that in liters? Yes, yeah, true. Who, who, <laughs> who uses a liter of buttermilk? Maybe if you're doing a big, I don't know, a, a Moroccan uh, feast, and sometimes they drink buttermilk with a couscous and all that, but... I mean, normally, I mean, it's a liter. Do it, you know, in a small version. So, yes, you can freeze some. But I said, let's find some recipes where we can use it. So we gave different ideas. And that pork chop is a very good idea because the acidity in the buttermilk is is the equivalent of, uh, you know, vinegar or lemon juice or, or yogurt when we want to tenderize and, and give some flavor to a piece of meat. So this is very simple. You mix a quarter, a third of a cup of buttermilk with a big teaspoon of, uh, of paprika, same thing with onion powder, ground coriander, ground allspice, salt, and you mix all this together. You put your four pork chops or more if you want. You can double and triple this recipe. Pork chops are quite often uh, uh, in special. And uh, you and I, I use them, actually, I pick them with bone, with the bone on, because now they sell it without it, but I think it gives more taste. The meat is very tender around it. So in a perfect world, you do it overnight or uh, just do it in the morning before you go to work. So you come back, you can just throw them on the barbecue and uh, a bit uh, extra salt, and that's it. You grill them, nothing else has to be added. And because you're stuck with that liter of buttermilk, uh, you can also do like to go with it. Mashed potatoes and buttermilk are fantastic. And, and the trick is really when you, you are going to bake or cook your potato in water, overcook these potatoes, overcook them. Then I leave them in the water, in the hot water, for at least five minutes. Actually, they would be not really good to eat as is anymore because it would be like too mushy mm. and watery. Then you drain them, mash them without butter, without nothing. Start by mashing them, and uh, that will prevent you to have any lumps in your uh, in your your mashed potatoes. Then add your buttermilk and butter if you want, salt and pepper, and you will have a fantastic puree every time. And it goes really well with that pork chop. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe Grilled a little vegetables. Maybe a little bit of applesauce too. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I guess if that you want, yeah. it would be it would be great with that. We have apples. You know, you could actually you peel two three apples, cut them into pieces, just a bit of water, and uh, close the lid, leave them there yeah. for uh, ten minutes, and you will have hot homemade applesauce. Enough for for that recipe. All right. Hey, thanks, Ricardo. Hey, thanks a lot, Andrew. Good to talk to you, Chef Ricardo. Uh, you can get all of his uh, uh, recipes that he has on CJD at cjd.com. There's a link to ricardocuisine.com. It's eight forty, and Evan Solomon, the host of Question Periods, on the line. Hi, Evan. How you doing, Andrew? What What are uh, G20 leaders saying about Donald Trump? 
Well, you, look, reports are always that they're concerned because he's the leading voice in basically a protectionism, an anti-trade issue. So if you're a Canadian, you're deeply worried about he's going to rip up the NAFTA agreement. That's right. not insignificant because they're our largest trading partner by far. And then if you're a NATO ally, then you must think to yourself, uh, wait, he wants to disband NATO. He wants us to pay more for NATO. He's not going to keep U.S. troops in South Korea or in uh, Japan or in Germany. What, what's he going to do? Mm-hmm. The, the one problem that they all express is total unpredictability. So they're very concerned that he won't honor his defense treaties. Uh, and for NATO, that's Article 5, you know, an attack on one is an attack on everybody. Yeah. For Canada, it's trade. Man, are you kidding me? No one knows what this guy's going to say, whether he has the sniffles or not, let alone whether he's going to honor a trade agreement. Uh, so he's worried, and, and I think the report is very accurate. People are deeply concerned about Donald Trump. Uh, I, I, this story about how much it uh, cost in a recent trip to feed uh, per person on the prime minister's plane makes you wonder what they're, uh, what they're serving. Yeah, I have a slightly uh, different take on this one. Uh, this is a conservative who... Um, has put in this request. Why did it cost it? The headline is 1300 bucks to serve people. And Joan Bryden, who's a great reporter from the Canadian press, broke it down. It actually closes in per trip uh, at about 70 bucks a person. And these were international trips. Uh, and this is the cost. You know, all the media who are on those trips, they actually pay for their own meals and they look at it. So it, actually the costs aren't that far off. Stephen Harper, when he would do short-haul trips, within North America as opposed to into Europe or to Asia or the Philippines where this plane was going would be $54 a person as opposed to $73 a person. So it's not that out of whack. The politics of this is more interesting, which is the conservatives rightly smell blood on legitimate expense issues, mm-hmm. which are things like the moving expenses related to the chief of staff and the principal secretary of the prime minister. Those are real issues. Those are issues that uh, already they've, People have paid back money. They've apologized for. Even the liberals have called that unreasonable. And so now the conservatives smell blood. The liberal entitlement is liberal kryptonite. And so now you're going to see a ton of little expense stories, some of them important and some of them, like in my view, in this case, this is not a scandal. It's great strategy, though, because if you can't get to the prime minister himself, who is extremely popular, then you can do a sort of end run uh, for these little things. Yeah, and listen, the narrative is good. If these guys can't watch their pennies, how do you expect them to watch your dollars? Yeah. That's the narrative, and that's a good one. Uh, and the the liberals really do have some legitimate expense claim issues that are very, very real. But now what you do, strategically, I understand the play. You pile on everything, right? Everything. How much does it cost to feed someone on the, on the defense jet? Well, you know. It's not as if people are, you know, how much can you eat there? You're not allowed to charge booze. There's Treasury Board rules. So these, there's rules around that. I would say this one is more political strategy than substance. All right. Uh, you ever been on the uh, prime minister's plane? No. Well, I, not I'm, this, not this one. I'm, I'm surprised. See, I, I would have thought you'd be traveling on it all the time. Yeah, see that. So I'm, I, I'm even defending, but, but it's not my. Those are not my expenses. <laughs> those aren't your expenses. <laughs> those are not my expenses. No, yours would that be much more than that. <laughs> Who's guarding Parliament? What is the story about uh, uh, about using cadets on Parliament Hill? 
it was a story that we actually followed right after October 22nd. And, and I remember walking around saying to these RCMP officers, hey, uh, how long have you been in the service? And they would get very nervous and they'd quietly say five months, six months, eight months, nine months, three months. And then you realize that they were cadets. Um, the RCMP, in the wake of October 22nd, the shooting on Parliament Hill, they just didn't have the uh, person power. Mm. And so they started to use cadets and basically trainees to buff up and beef up security. And the cost was enormous. I mean, the price of guarding the what's called the parliamentary precinct is big time. And so they were they didn't have people. They always have shortages. So they were using cadets as part of their training. And meantime, you had a lot of the parliamentary security people working overtime. They were all having to be trained, the parliamentary security guys to, uh, and men and women, to use their weapons because mm-hmm. not all of them were carrying weapons at the time. That only happened afterwards. So, yeah, for a long time, little did people know that there was a bunch of cadets enhancing security on Parliament Hill. Not necessarily what you want it spread out there, but it's out now because they're no longer cadets. Listen to the Andrew Carter Morning Show live weekdays 530 to 9 on CJAD 800 and at CJAD.com.